In 2020, we made a commitment as an organisation to respond constructively to the Black Lives Matter movement, aiming to become more diverse, more inclusive and support more Black-owned businesses. A Hundred Stories is a new video and podcast series that's intended to provide a platform for people of colour to share their experiences of prejudice and journeys to success. For our first story, Lawrence Grant interviews me on my experiences growing up and my response to the current climate following the Black Lives Matter movement. I think at first, like, I know you a little bit, not a lot, but um, I was even having ch a chat with Saffron yesterday about 100 Stories stuff and she was asking me, you know, um, are you just going to dive straight into the issue or, you know, especially with Eva and Monica and Sean, because we work together, you know, you don't need to go into their backstory. But actually, I think the kind of opposite, I think I would personally love to know, like from day one, you know, what was the Eva experience? Yeah. Because you've done so, so much, you know, you've done so many amazing things from from the days or the, the year or so that I've known you in terms of, yeah. you know, like... Um, young inspiration and and uh you know all the awards that you've won and and being kind of selected out of quite a large group of grads to join the sussex innovation team and things like that and just how competently you've managed to the um george floyd group i mean i've been super impressed but i don't know either from the the very roots so if it's not too invasive i'd love to know the story from kind of where it all started okay yeah through whistle stop so kind of like a bit about background and maybe how i got here maybe do you think yeah like uh, like uh, i'd like to know you know like where you were born like where you grew up what was the family like what was it like growing up so what was what was eva like from the age of <laughs> all the way through to cool okay so um i grew up in havens which is just outside portsmouth and that's like it's like it's kind of a small town, like it's a small town itself, but it's a big council, like all the towns are connected and you're like 15 minutes outside Chichester, 15 minutes outside Portsmouth. So there's, there's like lots going on yeah. by the sea and the country. But I was, I was born in Kingston, um, not Kingston Town, Jamaica, which someone has accidentally asked me before, <laughs> which is fine. Um, yeah, and my, cause my dad worked, he worked for IBM for like 30 years up in London and but him and my mum are both from Portsmouth so they lived in London then they moved back home when they'd already had my older sister and me and I think as a child as a child I was very happy I was a very chill child who just like liked to eat sleep and paint and just do whatever like my sister was a nightmare apparently but I was like I was the laid, the laid back one um at school I was always like, it's weird, I think, because at junior school, I was so confident. I was like, I was like orchestra leader and all like that sort of stuff. And I was such a nerd and I loved it. Then you get to secondary school and all of this like pressure to be popular and that sort of stuff just like kicks in. And you, I definitely went like in my shell a bit. And then college kind of comes, came back out again. But in relation to what we're talking about, so my mum's um, mixed race as well. So her grand, her mum is from Belize, which is in like Central America. Okay. And she moved over, she moved to England in the 60s. Because my grandpa, he, I didn't know the story that well. 
but he went over. She was in like a beauty pageant and then my grandpa like fell in love with her <laughs> and she came over to England. And so she moved over in the 60s to like, um, I think it was Bath, which is very white. And mum said like, whenever she'd be walking on the street, if she saw another black person, they'd always stop and chat. They'd always say hi because it was so rare that you'd see someone. So it's going to be like, oh, hey, how are you? Where are you from? <laughs> what are you like, doing? Hey, like. <laughs> oh, this is weird. <laughs> it's kind of like uncanny. Um, and yeah, that, that, that's kind of cool. And I think my grandpa sounded quite accepting. Mum did, my grandma passed, um, kind of, yeah, like just before I was born and kind of clearing up the attic. She did find some old letters that were from my grandpa's family, cool. you know, just telling grandma to like go home, you know, we don't want you to be in our family. And I don't know, I don't know what happened, but obviously, she, obviously she stayed, had two kids and like my mum's never said any, that anyone's been, that the family were never mean to her or anything. They, they accepted her, they were like, you know, she's the niece, she's the grandchild. And it sort of went from there. But um, yeah, I think, I think it was definitely difficult. And my mum, she doesn't really talk about her experiences because she was obviously like black going to school in the 80s. Mm. Um, she had like, he, her hair was massive. Like it's like mine, but tied to curls, but it's just outrageously big. Um, she, yeah, she doesn't really talk about many things. And when I wrote the article I wrote, she kind of, she read it and she was really like proud about it and stuff, which was really cute. And she was saying how, when she used to, she used to live across, you know, from the cul-de-sac, she'd go across the road to another family's, family's house because it was their friend who lived there. And it was the older brothers, they'd always open the door and they'd be like, oh, Ellie, it's your friend. And she can't, she was like, I won't say the word. She can't even say whatever word it is. And you, obviously it's something really? derogatory, but she was just like, I don't like to think about it. She doesn't like to think about it. And, um, I wrote, an, I wrote actually another article when I was at uni, which was about like relationships and interracial relationships. And my mum read that one and she was just like, oh, I had a lot of, oh, you know, you're not my type so much. I don't like black girls. Um, but yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't talk about it, which I find interesting. And I think in a sense, when I grew up, kind of like, I know like lots of my friends who grew up in London, and other places um, like Bradford. I think because maybe their parents are first generation, um, they're more in tune with you know their culture. Like my friend who was Nigerian, they still cook with Nigerian food, but my mum doesn't. Okay. And I, I kind of think that maybe because when my grandma came over, tried, I kind of think there was this pressure to be white and fit in, especially because they weren't in a um they weren't in a city you know how like when you hear about when um lots of um eastern asian people came and there's kind of communities in the cities mm -hmm. and kind of um diasporas of cultures in other places i think because you didn't have that it didn't so much pass down so my grandma spoke spanish my mum doesn't speak spanish i don't speak spanish um there's some food that she'd cook that was Belizean. And I remember once I was like, mom, did grandma ever cook fried chicken? And she was like, yeah, all the time. And I was like, why don't you cook me fried chicken? And she was like, she didn't give me the recipe. It's just, you know, okay. funny stuff like that. But it back, 
in relation to school, um, I didn't really think about the fact that I was like black or different of a different skin color or culture from my friends. And my sister was once like, you know, like a couple of years ago, she asked me, she was like, when did you realize like you and mum were black? And I was like, she like, don't, don't know. I was just like, it's so weird. Cause my sister's actually white. Right. She's, she's blonde hair, blue white. She's my full sister. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's just how, that's how the gene pool chose my sister, which is quite okay. funny, which makes it interesting. But yeah, we never like, I never really engaged with it, I think. I kind of could tell I was, looked a bit different than all the other people. And everyone's like, you know, a bit Irish or something. And I was always, but I was also, re I was still always really proud of it. Like I was always like, I kind of like enjoyed having something that was a bit different. And my friends did. They were, they were quite, you know, accepting and stuff. So there's, there's like some things I think back to now, like my friend said in school, she was like, I want to marry a black man so my kids look like you and stuff. And I was like, that's nice. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Just like stuff like that. But then um, I think it's when you get to secondary school and people become more, I don't know, I don't even know what the word is, but... I think people can become either more cynical or more rude or, you know what I mean? Like kids are very innocent. They're kind of like, Yeah, think it's almost like, uh, I think you touched on it earlier in mm. terms of when you get to a certain age, everyone starts to become a bit more aware of themselves and where they fit socially and yeah. it can become super catty, you know, and I guess people start to pick out the differences quite quite uh, aggressively in, in high school, right? But how did that play yeah. out then? But... Um, so again, very white school. There was more, Portsmouth has quite a big Bangladesh and like Pakistani community. So um, there are like, uh, quite a few people from that background in my year. But there was maybe like three, four, I think. They definitely used them in the pictures. Skyline from Trinidad and Tobago. <laughs> but in my class, it was me and Tanya Vargis, who she was from Bahrain. And that was it. And people people just make black jokes all the time. Like, just like in front of you. And I remember like once even I said a black joke because it was, you know, some like boy I fancied. And I said it and it was like, huh. And I was like, yeah, you know, like, I don't mind, it's fine. Mm. And you just reflect on that and you're like, that's terrible, but that's kind of like you absorb everything that's around you. Yeah. And this is kind of, I guess, like year seven to nine, I guess. And people, yeah, people just make jokes, really. Be like, oh, you're eating chicken again. Oh, you black people love watermelon. Or I got like the other side, which was like, um, oh, you listen to rock music. You're not really that black, uh -huh. which is a whole other like issue the being not black enough, especially when you're mixed race. Also the fact that being black has to conform to certain stereotypes is, is outrageous. You know, like black people have like R&B and hip hop. Um, that's, that's, that's not a thing. And the fact that people yeah. like, you know, I don't like to say to white people, oh, you have to love, I don't know, what's his name? Classical, yeah. Yeah, like classical. It's just, it's, just, it's just ridiculous and stuff like that. And I remember, so I'm, I'm like, we learned a bit about civil rights. And um, 
I was just always really interested in it. Like I went to uni and studied that with English mm. and I missed the lesson about this, you know, on the KKK and I came back and the teacher asked a question and I knew the answer because I'd actually watched the documentary and he was like, see, even he was just talking to the class, like you guys are being lazy. And someone was like, yeah, but she's only interested in it because she's black. And I was just like, you're kind of right, but like, I hate what you said, do you, what you said, yeah. you know, like I am interested in it because it's black, because it relates to my history, but also like, why aren't you interested in it? Yeah. How, how do you feel about the whole thing? Like from George, George Floyd, obviously uh, Black Lives Matter predates George Floyd. Yeah. Um, that's such a tragic event and the amount of PR around that. And, you know, have you seen a change in any opinions that you were surprised by? Or do you feel like things are actually solidifying and people are being a bit more divided? I mean, yeah. so it's such an interesting tapestry of change at the moment. Yeah. So I think, um, obviously, like when the video came out, it's a, it's a horrible video, but I didn't think it would incite such a movement because I've, I've seen those videos before. They've been around, you know, I, mm. I don't know how many years. Like sometimes you just go on your phone and you know you have those algorithms, algorithms so they know what you're looking at. And I've, yeah, I've seen videos like that when it's like, oh, this, um, watch this black person get, you know, experience with police brutality and they're horrible to watch and sometimes I don't like watching them because it depends what if I'm feeling in a good place I can if I'm not I'm like I don't want to watch this but I just like I don't understand why this one caused incited a riot I don't understand why this one incited not a riot but you know what I mean incited such a reaction mm. like there was the girl I can't I can't remember her name unfortunately but the girl who killed her aggressor, her someone was like sex trafficking her and she got like 70 years in prison. And then you, people were comparing that to, you know, all those rich white actresses who bribed to get their kid into like Yale and Harvard and everyone's, everyone was talking about, you know, how much they get in prison compared to white people. Then you had 13 come out, which is about, you know, the incarceration system. And it, it's all the information has been there. For ages and it was like will smith is like i think it was will smith was basically saying how this isn't new and this isn't suddenly progressing it's just that suddenly people are just recognizing it well, and i think recorded right <laughs> yeah and i think like yeah exactly it's, it's <laughs> someone had a phone at the right time hmm. i think at first i kind of felt a bit cynical to be honest about i'm um, seeing everyone posting like stuff and i'm like that's that's nice and then suddenly it was like I could on my phone it was everywhere it's like here's what to do here's how to be a good white alley it was like mixed race people here's how you can do better and I'm just like oh I kind of found like I was like drowning in social media and I had to like not yeah. go on it and I don't me and my friend Holly were talking about this and she's black and we were I was like I don't want to sound like one of those people who's like I heard this song before it became a number one but <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. Yeah. but that is a bit like I found it frustrating, but then I just kind of, I was, I was chatting to someone and they were like, yeah, it might be frustrating, but still, isn't this a good thing? Isn't it like better late than never? You, you can't be aggravated towards it. You know, you have to, if you care about, they kind of like were quite blunt. They're like, I mean, like, get over it. <laughs> this is how it's happened. And I was like, 
Yeah. You're right. Well, yeah. well, it, interestingly, it's quite a good analogy you've come mm. up with, particularly like you come, you know, you focus on a band and like they've just released the first album and no one really listens and then suddenly it's like, whoosh, you know. Yeah. Um, you want to be like, hey, I, like I, I yeah, yeah, it. I was here the whole time. Yeah. Can I have more credit? On yeah. <laughs> at least a T-shirt and a signed photo. Exactly. Hey, I was here first. Um, but even, especially in innovation, like um, there's something called the bell curve, which is about the innovators and then early adopters and then like people that jump on a trend, and that's where it really starts to go up. And then those that kind of go. That do it because they feel they have to do it because the majority are doing it and then there's the ones that resistors and things like that it's almost like that there there's a huge huge adoption rate of like the black square and hashtag black lives matter and a lot of corporates or even just individuals like posting about it and probably you know 70 percent of those people was all that they did and probably all they have done yeah. i guess you know from your perspective what do you feel good has come out of it and what do you feel people need to be aware of i think um definitely what's good what is good that's come out of it is that people realize it's not just an american problem that okay. there's issues in britain um you know and i think also it's that i think people are starting to understand like how just because racism isn't you know Jim Crow, how big the race isn't like someone like beating up because you're black, doesn't mean it's not there. Kind of, I guess, systemized racism exists and people kind of open their eyes to how the system is pitted against um, people of color and being people. I think, I don't think people really got that. I think people were very much in the opinion of like, well, if you're good enough, then you'll succeed. You know, it's all about self preservation and if you've got it, you've got it. Um, meritocracy stuff. Yeah. yeah. But also, I had um, one of my friends who used to make like loads of jokes. He actually messaged me and he apologised. Okay. It was really nice. He met. He messaged me like, "Oh hey, I've just with everything that's going on, I've just really been like reflecting on on me and how I've acted." And he was just like, "I just, I'm really sorry for all those of everything I said to you when we were in college." I mean, that's pretty amazing. I know. Yeah. I was like, I was so shocked. Um, I was like, honestly, like, I wasn't holding anything against you. I, I understand, like, he's, yeah. he's from a much smaller town. He's from a much more right-wing town than I am. So yeah. I kind of saw it as his, where, you know, what I mean, like, where, where he is. And he was like, he was like no, I know, I know you, you weren't holding grudge or anything, but I just wanted to say it. And I was like, that is just really, really impressive. You that's, know? That's, that's such an interesting point you make because... You know, and, and hats off for the level of empathy because, you know, I think there's a lot of people who maybe wouldn't have the same level of self-confidence or self-awareness or self-assuredness where someone who has actually made them feel pretty uncomfortable and upset for a long period of time or frequently, like, yeah. could say sorry and, and they'd have the humility to be like, you know what, like, appreciate that, thanks, never held it against you. Um, and then the point you make about, you know, that, that kid being from a, even smaller town mm. and it just makes you think a lot of people are doing what they think they should be doing a lot of the time because of their environment uh, or their surroundings or what they're told or what they what they digest particularly as you say with the bubbles and the algorithms bouncing around you 
almost naturally like you want to ask are things getting better but it's, it's hard to know right so it's, yeah it's i mean i can't um, remember the last time someone um said anything especially especially like at work like i've worked in a few like lots of hospitality and i used to get like a few comments and stuff like that right but i haven't had i haven't had that like yeah. i can't remember the last time which is really good but to, to tell me a bit about that then like the difference in working attitudes and, and I know you, I know you mentioned you know talking about jokes and banter and we've spoken about mm. what what one person thinks funny is actually like super annoying but yeah do you ever come across things that you, you genuinely feel like people are just not aware they, they even think they're saying something good or you know um, like someone who's trying to like help yeah because I know like positive discrimination is an interesting topic we've spoken about a lot even within Sussex innovation and things like that I mean what's your opinion on on that or you know um, I guess a, a, the, the simplest way to ask the question is when it comes to responsibility like your personal responsibility as someone who's like mixed race compared to someone who's white you know what are the, what what do you feel the actual balances of responsibility when it comes to comes to addressing these things and uh, making real change and yeah so I, I think um i think like if if white people do want to help and make a difference i think then people have to talk to people of color i don't think they can work it out on their own yeah. i think like i think there has to be like strong communication because there is there is a sense that people will never fully understand the experience like i'll never fully understand the experience of like a trans woman and what it's like for them um but nevertheless like if i wanted to do something to help you know their plight i'd have to talk to them i think it's just communication and also i think people i think they i think people need to be patient and that kind of let let them finish if you know what i mean quite often like when you say something i guess like did say, for example, the day the day Trump won, I was in America, and I was really upset, and I was just like, "White yeah. people are racist." Very sweeping statement. <laughs> I was just, you know, I was just upset, and my professor had just said it before, and you know what I mean. I was just like, mm. I was just enraged, and um, then my friends started like attacking me. Like when you say that, like you're saying like we're horrible, and I'm like, no, I'm not saying that. Um, I kind of like took it back. <laughs> But um, basically the point I'm getting at is that if white people are talking to black people about their experiences, the white people shouldn't be, shouldn't take it personally and be like, well, I don't do that. Well, I don't do that. It's like this person isn't talking about you right now. denying it. Yeah. They're talking about their experiences in a society. And I, I think... I think people are often quite quick to, to like be like, but I'm not racist. And it's yeah. like, no one's, no one's saying you are, but um, it's Yeah, like, I mean, tell me about like that, that whole like all lives matter thing is just a joke. Like why, why people feel the need to say anything like in response in such a defensive way, you know, cause I think, I think almost the point that's being made is I, I, I love um, this quote, which is that you never learn anything that comes out of your own mouth. <laughs> so like listening is actually a much more powerful tool than yeah 
speaking, justifying, comparing, like denying, like defending. Um, okay. You know, so, I mean, there's just a lot of listening to be done, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, a lot of listening, I think. 100 Stories was inspired by the hundreds of brave people of colour who have felt the Black Lives Matter movement has given them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences. This series coincides with the increasing demand and interest from allies who want to better understand the forms of prejudice and microaggressions that take place every day. We want our 100 Stories to be an accessible platform for black people in and around our community to share their stories, either anonymously or openly. We do this in a bid to keep the conversation alive and continue to help people understand what it's like when you don't have a seat at the table. If you're interested in sharing one of your stories, please get in touch via media at sync.co.uk. Thanks for listening.